Welcome to Save It for the Drive, the podcast for voices of women veterans. I'm your host and veteran, Ingrid Kennedy. Join me as I interview lady veterans from all branches of the military and eras to hear their stories, challenges, and triumphs. So hello, and this week I'm introducing Tina DiTallo, who's an Army veteran who served from 1980 to 1990. Welcome to the podcast, Tina. Hi, Ingrid. So nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And let's start off with, can you tell me a little bit about your decision in entering the military and what kind of brought you to choosing the Army? And how did you go about that decision? Um, I grew up in a small town in Michigan and um, rural area, not a whole lot going on there. Uh, I lived in a trailer on a dirt road, farming country, not a lot of opportunities. My dad said, when when you're 18, you're going to be out of my house when I was about 11. So that was in the back of my mind and didn't have money or really didn't want to go to college. So uh, my dad and all of his brothers had been in the army. So I thought that might be a good way to get out of my little town. So I went and talked to the Army recruiter uh, the summer before I started my senior year. And my parents signed for me to go into the Army. And I went the year after, the summer after I finished high school. Great. And um, were you doing any preparation to go to basic training or did you... Was there any advice from the recruiters and how to prepare? No. No, I just went, finished my last year of school and took off. Okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, where did you go for basic? I went to basic at Fort McClellan, Alabama, July 1st. It was kind of an interesting thing going from northern Michigan to Alabama. The 1st of July wasn't probably one of my wisest decisions. It was pretty hot down there. Big, big, yeah. big temperature change. Yeah, I bet. And when you were in basic training, was it an all-female group or were you, was it a co-ed platoon or how did they do it back then? Uh, it, it was co-ed and I was just looking the other day and I didn't realize it. There was a short-lived time period. They were doing, they experimented doing co-ed from 1978 to 1982 in the army and then they had stopped it in 82 because this is how that was written due to concerns men were not attaining their full physical potential and then they restarted it back in 1994 okay so it, it was co-ed at the time but they did the physical training we, we did the same physical training but their standards they had to do more sit-ups and push-ups and run a little bit faster than we did okay but we trained every, everything was trained, all the training was together. Gotcha. So uh, in your basic training group, did you have any special uh, duties assigned to you? Or how did they, were you in charge of keeping a certain area clean? Or was that just divided up amongst your group? Um, no, I don't think so. We just had different, I guess, different tasks all the time of keeping the bathrooms or latrines clean or learning i did learn how to use a buffer that was an interesting task oh yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> i guess and then the police calls and this, you know the gi parties and the spit shining parties and all that but i don't remember any specific task no mm -hmm. all right and any fun memories from basic training uh, it, was, it was a little scary, but it, a lot of it was fun. It was fun learning to do all that and scary at the same time, learning how to march and learning all the cadence. Those are, that was fun. I liked learning how to, all the cadences and was you marching along or running. That was, I liked doing that. Yeah. And um, you had that one experience with uh, the firing range. Was that in basic training or was that when you were in your advanced training? Uh, it was basic. We we marched. It was, you know, it's summer in July in Alabama, and you have to wear your leather boots, your wool socks, your long pants, your T-shirt, your steel pot, your web gear, carry your weapon down. We had a road march to the firing range, and we were uh, qualifying on the firing range for our marksmanship badge. 
And um, so you're in the little hole and then they have the pop-up targets out there and you go back and forth from different size holes and they have pop-ups at different um, yardage. And I don't really remember. It was really hot that day. And uh, the only thing I remember was going back and forth from the different hole, the different foxholes, I guess they were. And then I remember uh, waking up underneath a tree and the uh, drill sergeants were around me pour, pouring water on me. I don't know what happened. I think that I got heat stroke or something. And it was pretty scary because um, I found out the sleeves on my shirt were rolled up and there was holes in my shirt. So I this my shirt had fallen out of the back of my web gear and um, I shot my shirt up. So somebody must have came and pulled me. They must have came and pulled me out of that hole, that foxhole. And I don't remember any of it. And thank God that I didn't shoot somebody, you know, when you're in that that mental state of basic training and you've got a, a live weapon and you're on a firing range shooting at targets and somebody approaches you. I'm just glad that I didn't shoot somebody, you know, and not even yeah. realize it. So then I kind of woke up and I underneath this little teeny scrawny tree with no leaves on it or anything. And mm -hmm. um, they didn't take me to the hospital or anything. They just kind of let me lay there till I, till I woke up, I guess. And they just, I, I remember correctly, they probably didn't make me road march back. Maybe they gave, let me ride back. I don't really remember. Oh, man. But, so yeah, then the next day, scary. it was very scary. You know, and you don't really think about it at the time. But when I think about it, when I think back on it, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, that could have been really bad, a bad deal. Then the next day, we were supposed to do um, live fire when you low crawl underneath barbed wire and they're shooting over your head. And uh, they put me on a detail to go lay carpet in this old abandoned building, I guess. I guess they didn't want to take the chance of of me losing it in the heat again. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was that was a pretty scary experience. Yeah. <laughs> for for them, I guess, that I didn't Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Wow. But every I everybody was okay. So mm -hmm. and in the army do you when you're in basic training, do you always have to carry a weapon with you or were you only given that during the shooting, the firing range time? I don't think we carried it all the time, but we carried a, a lot, but you don't have any ammo with you. They have this little thing that you put on the top of it and it's like a little screw in there with it. It's red. So then you lock it in there. So you don't have any ammo, but you carry it with you because that is your friend and you, they want to make sure that you learn how to keep it with you and guard it with your life all the time. Mm -hmm. It's part of the, the mental training that that is your friend and you never let it get away from you. Did the drill sergeants try to mess with you guys and try to see if they could steal away from you? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, they did. And you, if you were sleeping in your sleeping bag, you put it inside your sleeping bag with you. If you got up to go to the bathroom, you took it with you. Every anywhere you went, you you didn't ask your buddy to hold on to it, mm -hmm. which makes sense because what happens if you came under fire and your gun is over there with your buddy and you get you get ambushed? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. So I was talking to when I interviewed one of the Marines. She said that she had a name for her rifle. Did you guys? name your rifles no <laughs> all right and then and you said you turned 18 years old when you were in basic training yes so how was what was that like for you it was just it was another a, day <laughs> yeah nobody no, nobody cared I yeah mean, it was just a day and how do you remember how long basic training was in the army at that time I don't okay. I think it was I think it was 10 weeks yeah, I don't really remember. I know. Okay. I think between basic and AIT, I think it was I think July first until the middle of October for both. And where did you do your AIT? And and what uh, did you know which type of career field you're going into right away, or did that get assigned to you? It it was. Uh, I knew when I signed up. I when I enlisted my early my early enlistment. I knew that was that was part of the bargain before I went in. I went and took the test. I think it was called the ASVAB test. Mm -hmm. 
when I went and took the test, they're like, oh, you got the top score of the day. So you can do any job you want. I'm like, oh, I would like to be a disc jockey. Oh, we don't have that job. How about a veterinarian? Oh, we don't have that job either. I go, well, what do you have? They go, well, where would you like to go? Oh, I'd like to go to Colorado. All right. Well, how about an ambulance driver? Oh, that sounds all right. I could yeah. drive an ambulance, have some sirens and lights. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So that was how I got my. That was how I got the job in uh, AIT. So it was already it was already planned before I even went in. Okay. So AIT Advanced Individual Training went to Fort Sam Houston, Texas for ninety one Bravo School. Okay. And how how did you like your advanced? individual training there. Fort Sam Houston, that's a pretty, that's where Brook Army Medical Center is. It's a big hub of um, big medical center that people get sent to. So um, how was your experience there? I liked it. I like Texas, except for they have these giant, I, I don't think there are cockroaches, but these giant, well, you were down there too, right? Yeah. Oh, Those the giant cockroaches I was like, oh, my God, what is that thing flying around? Are they cockroaches, though, or what are they? I don't oh, know. I don't know. <laughs> but they're scary. Very, like, I, like the, the saying goes, everything's bigger in Texas. Even in Texas. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there was always some, like, very strange, crazy bugs down yeah. there. So um, were you staying in, did they have um, on-base housing or did oh, they Oh, no, the we had to stay or? in the barracks. No, oh, you're, okay. you're still in training. You couldn't have, okay. like, you couldn't be with spouses or you couldn't have your family there. You were still yeah, in a Uncle training. Sam's. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so everybody was, you had to stay in the barracks with everybody that was still in, in, the, in, the, in your class. Okay. And then tell me a little bit about the 91 Bravo oh, uh, combat medic training. <laughs> Um, it was basically, it was combat medic is what they called it. And so it was basically learning how to splint and wrap people up and learn how to carry litters and evacuate mm -hmm. people, triage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, and the I, moulage, triage, yeah. moulage. Moulage. So moulage is like when we're doing the exercises, <laughs> the crazy makeup that they put on people to simulate different injuries and that and then you would go in and a, a lot of times they would have like a like we would do mass casualty exercises and they'd have all these like usually there are like students or other soldiers and that would be involved and then then they give them assign them different injuries and we all go in and and try to sort out who was you know who was need to get treated right away who could wait who's the walking wounded that could help you with the other wounded so what the interesting thing that i learned about the military was that different than civilian so like in the civilian sector there's unlimited resources usually and you could always call upon other hospitals or ambulance ems companies to help help you out but when you're in, in a field condition you have limited resources so if you you're sometimes in a, in that type in a military combat setting where if if you don't have enough resources for somebody then you might just let them die unfortunately um and because that's just how it is you have to try to do the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people so that's one of those harsh truths about me military medicine that yeah. i learned in in my train that i thought was interesting <laughs> Was there like a favorite thing that you learned uh, with the combat training? Uh, I like learning how to how to uh, patch people up. One thing I did was wrapping up ankles. You know how you they had such a nice way of wrapping them up, and then whenever I see people wrapping up ankles after that, as a civilian, I'd get like, ah. Why are you wrapping that? That is not the proper way to wrap that. It used to drive me crazy. Yeah. You know, these, how we wrapped it so nice, you know, like lay, lay it over, lap it over like that. And, and they didn't learn that. Civilians didn't learn that. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked learning how, how to, I, I thought it was fun, you know, yeah. how to, except for heads. Heads were hard to wrap up and giving injections yeah. to people. I remember first time I tried to give an intermuscular 
<clears throat> excuse me, intermuscular injection. The guy I was giving it to almost passed out. I gave it to him so slow. First we practiced in oranges, then I gave it to him and I was like sliding the needle. And he just turned so pale and he was getting all woozy. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then he was okay. Yeah. But at first, cause I, I think I was scared. And so I really like slid it in slow or maybe it was just him. It wasn't me. We'll <laughs> say it's him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I worked in immunizations, so, cause that was one of the rules I had was that, so you're giving like millions and millions of shots to people like the deployment shots, the, yeah. the flu shot or whatever. And there's always a handful of people. And I always <laughs> thought, thought it was funny that, um, the guys with all the tattoos, you think that they have no problem with it, but they, they, you'd be surprised. Like some of those guys would be the ones that are pass out on you. <laughs> yeah. And then you gotta like deal with that situation, but usually they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But it was fun. I like, I liked AIT. Yeah. And where did you go after AIT? Did you get to choose where you got to no, go? No, that was all planned. All, my mm -hmm. your first duty station, all that stuff was planned before you even went in. I knew I knew where I was going to basic, when AIT, and my first duty station. And you, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed the first year your your duty station. So that first year is pretty much planned out for you, and then it's then it's up in the air because okay. you still have two more years army. Uh, First enlistment's three years. So then, mm -hmm. then two years, you're theirs. So uh, Fort Carson, Colorado is okay. where I went to. Loved it there. That was really, a, I really liked Colorado. I hadn't really been out of the Midwest ever. Yeah. And so Colorado was beautiful. The mountains, when you're used to all the flat land. My barracks, every, uh, out the window is Pikes Peak. Every time you looked out the window, Pikes Peak looked different. The way the sun was shining on it, the time of the day, it was just amazing every morning yeah. to look out there and see Pikes Peak. Yeah, I bet it was beautiful. Um, and you were saying that uh, when you first got to that base, they made you wait uh, before doing any PT for a certain period of time days. so you could get acclimated to the altitude. Yeah, yeah, because the, because of the, because of the altitude, <clears throat> it took a, it takes you a while to um, to get used to it. Mm-hmm. But then but then you go right after it. Yeah. And it's it's okay. So uh what did um in the army did they have did you have like mandatory PT oh, along yeah. with like that so you had PT scheduled, then you then you would go to your like work duty section. Well, we usually have like PT like six o'clock in the morning. I don't know, I don't remember, three three to five times a week or whatever. We'd have we usually five or six o'clock you go do PT and then you'd have like an hour, hour and a half to have breakfast and shower. And then you'd come back for formation at about nine, eight mm -hmm. or nine. So you'd have that time. So you start the day, but then you'd go shower and eat and then come back for formation and then you'd get off at four, four thirty, whatever. Okay. You know, a time when they take the flag down and yeah. What, they, what is that? Revelry? Or I don't remember. <laughs> ah, well, we're bad. You're there to salute the flag coming up and going down. Yeah, yeah. Yes, those were the days. Yeah. Um, and then during the day, you'd be working. Is it Was there like a hospital there or were you working in a clinic? They were, there was a hospital there, but I didn't work in the hospital. I worked in a, um, a station hospital. It was kind of like a mass unit. We were a portable, com like a combat hospital. So it was tense. We had a motor pool with deuce and a halfs and the ambulances. So like the mass unit, we had um, a warehouse and we had tents and all the medical equipment. We had, so you could set up the tents with um, like a dental office an x-ray, you know, like a tent, a couple wards. Um, I don't know, just like whatever you have in a hospital. We were a hospital, but we were, like a for combat ha hospital, like a mash, like a mash unit. Yeah. And were you, uh, did you set that up to be closer to where other soldiers were working out in the fields or? We were probably going to be rear echelon, like when the ambulances would be out there on the front lines and then they would bring them to a, um, an aid station. So the ambulance would be up there with their frontline soldiers and then they have an aid station would be like a company or a 
or a battalion level. And then they would go from the aid station. The aid station would bring them to the hospital. So we'd be okay. farther back in the rear, rear echelon, the okay. hospital. But we'd have the ambulances too. So some of our people would be in the ambulance. So we'd have different companies, like different parts. So we'd have an ambulance platoon. And then we'd have, and then the, like the aid stations would usually be like field artillery or infantry. Man, you're making me think. Field artillery or infantry or whatever, they'd have their own medics and they yeah. would work at that aid station. So then that the, that aid station would bring them to the hospital. Yeah, to the next echelon. Yeah. Okay. And then would you sometimes have to send people out to the main hospital? Oh, I'm sure they would. I'm sure. I mean, we, we did, yeah, because we would practice. We would medevac when we were out doing desert training. We'd medevac people from this from the um, state, from our hospital, the field hospital. That's what it was, a field hospital yeah, yeah. to the hospital. We had, we actually did it for real one time when we were out doing desert training out in Fort Irwin. We had this guy get bit by a brown recluse. And we actually oh. had to medevac him out. That was like, oh my gosh, that was pretty intense, you know, when you're like 19 years old. Yeah. But oh, it wow. wasn't like real war, you know, it was not like real war, but... But when yeah, <laughs> real world yeah. situation. Yeah. So um, what types of injuries did you see? Or was this more training or was, it was this just more training? Oh, I see. It was okay. like we would go and set up down and we'd go down range in, in Colorado and set up. We'd set up the tents and we'd sit out there for a couple of weeks or whatever. And they would mm -hmm. practice and then they would have uh, if, if there was like field artillery or infantry or. Oh, what are some of the other ones? They would be out there. And sometimes if they got hurt, especially when we were, we went to Fort Huachuca in Arizona and we went to um, California to the desert training when they were actually soldiers from other units, like a lot of uh, Fort Carson went there. We put all of our vehicles up on trains and then they shipped them out to Fort Irwin mm -hmm. for desert training. And so a lot of other companies that were out at, with us at Fort Carson, we all went there. So we actually had to take care of people, the, the other soldiers from Fort Carson. Um, so when they were sick, we had to actually take care of them. But usually if we went downrange at Fort Carson, we just did guard duty and stuff. But when we okay. were there, we had to actually take care of people. Yeah. All right. And so were, were you more like, would you say it'd be kind of like emergency room type of stuff? Like, uh, was it more no. like heat injuries or like musculoskeletal type of thing? Well, or? I worked on the ward and that was mostly yeah, like, like heat because it was, we were there for desert training. So it was yeah. mostly heat or injuries. But I say like, uh, when we were talking before, like the aid station would be like more like an emergency room. And then they merge, like they would, the aid station would be the emergency room. Then they'd bring them to the hospital. And that's we were, you know, like your dental and your x-ray okay. and your wards and like stuff. Ward. Okay. Got it. So like your combat medics would be at the aid station. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like they'd be like your, your uh, emergency room techs and then they would bring them to the hospital. Okay. So we didn't really have that, you know, like the, we did have like, a, I guess, I don't know, Mammy, you're making me think way too. <laughs> but no, not really an emergency room, but we did have it, you know, yeah. something set up, but not really first line. Okay. And how, how many years were you at um, Fort uh, Carson? Three. Oh, I had another, we did also, we did uh, some 12 mile road marches. Oh yeah. Um, up, up and down the mountains. We'd have to do 12 mile road marches with 70 pounds with your uh, weapon and your, your uh, you know, your steel pod and all that. And, and then we'd have to do two miles in full mop gear with oh. your gas mask. And we'd have to do it all within four hours. So with, with every carrying quarter. 70 pounds with mop four? Yeah. <laughs> and then people would, sometimes they would take the filters out of their gas mask so that they could, they breathe, could breathe better. And then you could tell because they would be all fogged up inside there. They couldn't see, but they could breathe. Oh my God. Oh, that was hot. so hard. And you were telling me that, so like you guys were at that time were using like the, the C rations in the cans or were, were they like the MREs um, the package? But, well, when I first went in, it was C rations. Mm -hmm. We had C rations. Yeah. 
And then they switched over later to the MREs at, after, while I was still in. Okay. But we started off with the C rations. And do you have to build a fire to heat those up? or No, you, you ate them cold out of the just can. Just ate them out of the can? Okay. No, we didn't build fire. <laughs> we used the <laughs> P38 so and then we, well, some people had tried to, or they would try to do it with their lighters or whatever. But uh -huh. no, but everybody just had little jars, little bottles of hot sauce and yeah. that, shit, that <laughs> shit in there. But it was like tuna loaf or um, tuna loaf was one of the best ones, I guess. Oh, that sounds but gross. Was, <laughs> tuna loaf. Oh, that was the best one. Okay. And they had some like some cold beef stew and stuff. But ugh. yeah, but we'd get hot breakfast and then and hot dinner. So you get that, I guess, mostly for lunch. Okay. But it had like. <clears throat> a little thing of toilet paper in there and a little piece of like a chocolate little disc and then like a tuna loaf or something and it, yeah the, the p38 yeah the little so can that? opener the so little can opener you can't really see what it, you just this little teeny thing i still have it on my keychain mm -hmm. but it's it's just a little can opener you have to try to open it with it's really small people used to carry them on their dog tags so okay. it would open up cans Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> That's got to be hard doing those uh, road marches with 70 pounds because you said that you were really. I was 110 pounds. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And it was in the mountains. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was a little bit Amazing. of a whiner. <laughs> I was a little whiny then. And they're like, stop whining. Just do it. Just Suck it, it up, soldier. Suck I'm like, it up. Yeah, embrace the suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then after Colorado, so how did you go about deciding where to go next? So how how what is that? How does that process work uh, back then with um, deciding on where you could go for your next duty station? Well, my my enlistment was over. My three years were up and I was still at Fort Carson and I kind of was still undecided on what I wanted to do. So I'm like, ah, I might as well just stay in the army. I haven't got anything better to do and nothing else planned. So I re-enlisted and, um, and I had a lot of good friends there and we, I was having a really good time in Colorado. So I said, okay, so I re-enlisted. I was guaranteed to stay there for another year. Three months later, I'm on levy to go to Germany. And I was like, ah, but you told me I could stay here for a year. Uh -huh. And then I thought, well, I could try to fight it. But then I was afraid if I tried to fight it, I might get sent someplace worse. So I, right. so I sucked it up. Yeah, Germany's <laughs> not that bad. No, so I sucked it up and uh, uh -huh. I went to Germany. In, uh, Janu I went to Germany in January of 83, 84. Okay. How did you like Germany? I like Germany a lot. Germany was fun. It was, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was a little bit of a culture shock, but there's a lot of places that were more, could be more of a culture shock. It was okay, except for the language, the language part. Mm -hmm. It was kind of hard to get around. I would, <laughs> if I just kept my mouth shut, people didn't know that I wasn't German. Yeah. And, and the, one of the hard things about it was, like a, if I'd go to the store or something, I would look at the cash register because it, when they tell you how much you owe, they say seven and 20 cents and three and $40. So, but they say, well, they of course they say it in German too. So I could never figure it out. So I would just have to look at the cash register to see how much money that I owed them. Uh -huh. So that part was, that part was hard. And I used to uh, ride the bus. And I would sit on the bus and try to figure out their conversation. So my next door neighbor, she was German, but she was married to an American. He had passed away. But mm -hmm. so we were riding on the bus one time and I said, what are they talking about? Because I, I tried to figure out conversation. So I said, are they talking about um, going down to the fish market? And she was laughing and laughing. She says, no, they're talking about their electric bill. And I was like, oh, I was oh. way off. <laughs> but um, yeah. Did you pick up some German? Very little. Very little. I mean, enough to order beer and food, yeah. you know, and I could ask questions, but I couldn't understand what they were when they would answer me, like, you know, where's the, you know, where's the Bonhoeff or whatever. And they would answer me and I'd be like, okay, thanks. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I didn't know what they were saying. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not very good at languages. I only speak English. Uh-huh. <laughs>
And what, what was your job like when you're stationed there? Uh, I started off, I was in Nuremberg for about nine months. I was in an ambulance company. So that, there we go, the ambulance company again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to go to Grafenvir with the field artillery. And we'd sit in the ambulance for about two weeks at a time while they were out there shooting yeah. all the time. And so you just sit in the ambulance for about two weeks. That was pretty boring, especially if you weren't particularly fond of the person you were with. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sitting in a box for two weeks. And it was before cell phones or internet or any of that stuff. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, you didn't know any of the field artillery people. So you just kind of sat there. You'd play cards or read books or whatever. Yeah. And keep um, yourself busy. But it was fun in, in Nuremberg. We used to take the train downtown and um, go hang out. It was when um, hard had some pretty good hard rock music places down there, bars, and mm-hmm. um, that that was fun. Went to Monsters of Rock. It was a like a two day concert in the stadium that Hitler used to give his speeches in. That was interesting. On the outside, you could see where the shells had hit the outside of the stadium. Oh wow! Yeah, that was. That was pretty eerie going inside there and thinking about Hitler giving the speeches yeah. in there. Yeah. I went to um, a concentration camp. Uh-huh. I can't remember if it was Auschwitz or Dachau. I don't remember which one it was wow. when I was over there. What was that like? Um, it was all, they were talking all in German. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't, you know, I seen a lot of the pictures, but it was torn down, so it wasn't as realistic as I thought. Like the uh, the bunks and stuff were gone, so it was just kind of like an empty building. So it wasn't as devastating as I thought. But like the ovens and stuff were still there. Oh man! And the some of the pictures were like, oh, yeah, was pretty bad. Yeah. But yeah. and we went um, on the Hof border tour. It was when it was before, uh, it was when it was still East and West Germany. Mm-hmm. And so we went, um, we got on a bus and then they took us a bunch of soldiers and we got to go right along the border and we seen the East Germans. It was just like a little Constantina wire fence. And, and they were in their guard shacks and looking at us when we got out and walked around and they were looking at us. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. But I never got one of the things I really wanted to do was go to East Berlin, but I didn't get to do that. Mm-hmm. And so then I went um, then I went to Heidelberg. I was nine months there. And then I went to Heidelberg for the rest of the time. Then I worked in the hospital there. I was working in the ER. OK. Was there like because uh, that's during the whole like Cold War era. Was there anything, any special restrictions that you had to because it was during that time or like you couldn't go to certain places or were there some areas that well, were off limits? It, well, yeah. East Germany, East Germany. <laughs> definitely <laughs> off limits. And you well, had to get the, like the Berlin wall was still up. Yes. And you had to have like special, like if you want, black people went to different countries because it was so easily accessible. But if you went mm-hmm. to like Russia, some people went to Russia, but you had had special, special permission to go to, like East Berlin and Russia and some of the, you know, some of these communist countries, you couldn't just get a ticket and, and go to some of these places. Yeah. There was one time when I was working in the ER, must have been, when we bombed Libya, do you remember that? We, I don't even remember. I think that they bombed a disco in Germany mm-hmm. and we, I was working night shift and then we went over there and bombed them. And night, so then after that, then no Americans could be out after at nighttime without an MP, military police escort. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a nice for about a week because nobody could come to the ER without a police escort. So it was kind of. <laughs> it was a quiet week in the <laughs> yeah. ER. <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we weren't very busy at all. So, I mean, that was kind of interesting, but it was like, holy shit. Wow. This is, this could be. Yeah. Interesting. But mm-hmm. a lot of the Germans, especially the older Germans, didn't really like Americans being there. Well, some of the Germans didn't like us being there. Oh, but really? some of them did. Mm-hmm. And the difference was they could tell because their license plates were long and skinny. And the Americans had the, the same 
license plate like we have here in the state so they could always tell right away that you weren't that you were an american because mm -hmm. your plates were different on your car well and then you kind of stand out uh, americans tend to stand out a lot in europe this like the the personal space <laughs> that we require is like more than in europe or you know just a little different little things and or we talk louder and yeah i think we even if we try to blend in we still kind of stand out a little bit i don't know i i guess i didn't really yeah. think about it i was pretty i was only what i was there i was what 20 to 23 yeah years old so i didn't really even notice but it, it was it was a lot of fun it was yeah a big difference and yeah i enjoyed germany when i got to go there. Just, Where did you go? I just got to go for annual training, but Reforger? Um, oh, do you like Bitburg and oh. um I know we were by um Ramstein. We flew into Ramstein and then I think I worked out of Bitburg and somewhere else in in their clinics and stuff. And then when we were just there for like a couple weeks helping out and and then um we on the weekends if when we weren't working we were, we got to travel which was fun i got to go to amsterdam and oh wow one weekend and then we went to paris another weekend and did you like paris oh yeah yeah we went up the eiffel tower oh you saw did the louvre yeah i loved it yeah it was it was great i know some people say like that oh the french hate americans but <laughs> i in my experience if i at least try i tried to learn a couple phrases in you know the languages of the places we went to so at least i like i tried they don't like to, that to do did they did they look down know. their nose at you when you try to speak french um no i think people at least tried to like be like okay she's trying <laughs> you know like that um you know as opposed to people like do you speak English? You know, I I don't know. I think at least if you try to make the effort a little bit, then things go a little bit better, in my experience. Well, that's but, one thing nice about cell phones now. You can just put on the app on your phone oh, and yeah. do all that so easy. Yeah, this was like before we had smartphones oh, and all that. Yeah, so it, it was just like your little phrase book and <laughs> and whatever you could do to get by. Yeah, that was nice. I love going to different countries and going um skiing in the alps went to my favorite place probably was austria we went oh skiing in austria oh my gosh and we, it was for a week with the ski club and we stayed in this um austrian house mm -hmm. and um it was so much fun like a chalet yeah like it sounds so fancy <laughs> yeah and they had they gave us breakfast and the first time i ever had it was like a soft boiled egg and they put it in this little egg cup you had to like oh, tick yeah. off the top of the egg and then scoop the egg out of the top with the shell still around it. I was like, how are you doing that? <laughs> I had wow. to look to see because I had yeah. no idea. But then the mountains there were just beautiful. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Oh, Do you yes. still ski now? No, I'm kind of, I think about it every once in a while. I'm like, I'm too old. If I fall, I might break and yeah. <laughs> crumble. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I just learned how to ski a couple oh, years really? ago. And um, so this this, pit, this past um, New Year's, we went to Colorado. But other than that, I've only been to like Michigan and, and Wisconsin. Oh. So it was it was a lot more fun. We went to Keystone and oh. I, like, I loved it. You get military discount. We used to go to Keystone all the time in Colorado yeah. because of the, that was the, the best that, military discount. The, they have this epic pass um, where there's some... Uh, that Wilmot takes Epic Pass, but the military discount is like really good for for us, like a family of four. Mm -hmm. It was a significant saving. So, yeah, always got to look for those <laughs> discounts when you can <laughs> when you can get them. They're very nice. So. Once you go, you can't come back to the Midwest and ski. <laughs> Once you skied, yeah, you, was, you come back and you're like, I get nauseated just going up and down the lift a thousand times a day. Yeah, this is. Back when I was still skiing, yeah. I have to try it again. I one love of these it. Days. I love it, and I and I sit. I stick to the green runs, uh -huh. just very mild. But we, on New Year's Eve, they had the fireworks going off at like eight p.m. So we took the gondola all the way up, and then we were skiing down and watching the fireworks go off. It was really cool. It was in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, just just this past New <laughs> Year. So oh, fun. So yeah, now I think I'm like, oh man, maybe we should. <laughs> 
like it's so much nicer than the the Midwest ones, but oh, for I, sure. And then going to the Alps, I mean, that's amazing. So that's that would be a really cool experience. So that's awesome that you got to do that. Yeah, and you know another good. Well, this is after I got out, but um, Whistler in Vancouver, British okay. Columbia is a very good place too. Okay. And the good part they speak English there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's always so. It's good. a lot easier to get around. Uh huh. It's not one of those uh, areas in Canada where they're all French. No, speaking, like Montreal. Or well, yeah. Well, a lot of places in I don't know now, but in the eighties, a lot of European countries didn't really. A lot of people didn't speak English. We went to uh, Yugoslavia, and nobody really spoke English. Yeah, yeah. I think in, uh, nowadays probably they teach it in school. Yeah, so. but back then. It, it, it's hard mm -hmm. and you, you didn't have really have a book and <laughs> you just kind of like yeah find your way around hopefully they have a menu with pictures <laughs> or something <laughs> like that <laughs> all right and then um and you you had your daughter when you were in germany yeah my so, daughter was born in heidelberg and on the army base where mm -hmm. you went? at the hospital mm -hmm. yeah Oh, that's nice. So yeah, that's so, why I didn't get to travel very much between having my daughter and yeah, um, you're a new mom and working shift work. Everybody, the mark rate was there was so good. The GIs, we were living high on the hog, so everybody mm -hmm. was traveling on the weekends and having a good old time. And and you're yeah, <laughs> you're a new working, mom. And I mean, we we did travel some. We did travel, but yeah, the shift work really put a damper on that. Oh. Yeah, so you were working one shift, and then your daughter's father was on another shift. Yeah, I was working nights most of the time, and he was working days. Mm -hmm. And then you had, like, an arrangement where you, like, you had somebody help watch her, like, for, like, that overlap time. Or if I was working PMs, yeah, she, I would take her, I, he would have the car in the morning, and then I would take her on the bus, I'd drop her off at the babysitter, or the, the mm -hmm. streetcar, and then he'd pick her up after he got off from work. So it was only, like, yeah. two hours. Yeah. A couple or night, yeah. I was working PMs and nights. I never got to work day shift really there. How long were you there with your daughter? Does she re does she no. remember any of it, or was she little when you moved back to? The US? She was about eight. It was before she was eighteen months old. She was barely. She was only eighteen months old, if not even that old, before mm -hmm. we came back. And how did you feel like life changed for you being a parent and serving in the military were they supportive like when you were on base like of of families <laughs> or did you feel like they were just like oh you're on your own to figure it out i think they i don't think that they really did anything about it it was just you you take care of your business i guess yeah no they never did anything it's like you take care of your stuff. Yeah. Did they have any special things on base for families or young kids or make things like family friendly or anything like that? No, I don't think so. I don't know. No. We lived off post. Okay. We lived off post in an apartment and I don't remember them really doing anything. Yeah. I don't even remember if they had a daycare there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you think that if, if you, um, you weren't a mom do you think it would be easier to stay in the military longer or do you think it, when it got to be the time where you came out were you just like ready to be done with the military or or do you think it was harder being a parent well she was serving? about five years old when i got out she mm -hmm. was getting ready to go into kindergarten i don't think it i don't think it really affected it too much you know you were able it, to balance everything yeah, you just take, you know, same What's the, the difference between, you know, and you have to have a paper, you have to have a backup plan. If you get deployed, especially if you're married to another soldier, you get deployed, you have to have someplace yeah. for, for your children to go. And then my mom, she would have went, my mom would have taken care of her. So then they have that, you know, you have to have that yeah, in your emergency. Um, so you kind of have to have a pre-planned plan for. Especially you know, if you're both in. Right. So, so my mom would have taken care of her. So that I don't know how they would. I'm sure they would have taken care of something. But as long as you have a plan for them, mm -hmm. you know they don't. I don't think they really. I mean, because I mean, how many people in the military have kids? They don't really. You know, almost everybody has kids in that when you're in your 20s. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think it, it was just the thing. 
<laughs> you know? yeah. Everybody's got kids and you just take care of them. You know, most of yeah. them, a lot of them had the civilian spouses though, so it wasn't really a problem. Yeah, when you're both serving, that's a little, that's another thing to think about because mm -hmm. what if one of you has to go to like a school and then one of you are like going on a tour or something like that, you have to have a backup. Like when we were getting ready to leave Germany, we had to be out of our apartment about a month early and then they took our car because our car had to go up to Germany and then come across on a ship, I guess, and end up in New Jersey and we had to be out of it. So we had to go into um, temporary housing. So my mom came to Germany and picked her up and took her back mm -hmm. so that she wouldn't be stuck in all that, you know, without anything because they had to clean out our apartment and ship all of our stuff over mm -hmm. to get ready to go. Well, I think they shipped it to Denver because I knew... But I know I was going to Denver. I don't know. Maybe they held on to it. I don't remember because when I left Germany, I went to um, 91 Charlie School. So I started off mm -hmm. in Fort Sam for, I don't remember how many weeks, for 91 Charlie School and then to Denver. So after Germany, you decided to go to 91 Charlie School, which is, is that school that helps you get your LPN? Oh, well, no, I knew I was going when I left because it was kind of to the point I said uh, when I was getting ready to leave and my husband at the time he's I either want to be 90 because well, 91 Bravo was basic combat medic but they changed it so that it was 91 Alpha was combat medic and they changed it oh, 91 Bravo okay. to super B which is more like a paramedic and then 91 mm -hmm. Charlie was a civilian LPN okay so I wanted to be a Bravo a paramedic my husband talked me into being an LPN, being going to Charlie school. So when I left Heidelberg, I knew that I was going, I was already accepted in the classes. So when I left, I took a couple of weeks off or whatever. And I went right into to school in San Antonio. I knew mm -hmm. when I was leaving that I was already in that class. Okay. So then, and I don't know, I think, I can't remember if I knew I was going to Germany I mean, if I was going back to Denver after that. So it's kind of funny that I went to uh, AIT in Sam Houston and then went to Colorado. They went to Germany and they went back to Sam Houston and then mm -hmm. back to Colorado. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. Like a how full it, circle. <laughs> yeah. I went right back to where I started from. Mm -hmm. So I went to um, 91 Charlie School in San Antonio again and then um, to Denver. And uh, what additional training is required to to do the LPN program? Uh, were you learning more like a medication calculation? Well, or is more um, when you finish, you take the LPN, the civilian LPN exam. So mm -hmm. I got my LPN after I finished. So it's the same. It's the same. Okay. Do you feel like there was more? Like what information was missing from the ninety one Bravo? Uh, oh, kind of, oh, a lot. So it was more like more inpatient, like nursing care type of information. Or? 91 Bravo is you know, like you know, combat medic, you know, just patch them up and send them out, you okay. know, because you don't learn, you give injections and start IVs and stuff, but it was basically like an EMT and uh, 91 Charlie's nurse. Okay. So you learn. So they're more like, about disease processes <clears throat> and that right, sort of thing. Right. You know, and how to take care of patients and give, you know, you had to learn meds and pills and, mm -hmm. you know, all that. Okay. All that stuff. Like nursing school. Yeah. Well, you yeah. did the same thing, right? Um, I did well, it. Except well, for not LPN, but like your yeah. first year of nursing school. Yeah. It was like yeah. LPN. Yeah. Right. So, but it, it's interesting how the different services kind of uh, separate the medical specialties a little bit. Like the corpsmen in the Navy, it seems like they learn like everything and they're kind of like a, like a jack of all trades kind of thing. And then it seems like in the army that's more specialized in these different subsections of the different classifications of medics. So I was just mm -hmm. trying to understand how the like what additional training. So it seems like a little bit more extensive, not just the pre-hospital stuff. Right. Well, then they have like different ones, like deltas, like, like a 91 delta. I don't remember for sure, but like dental. And then you got eyeball, you know, like somebody that just does eyes and then yeah, yeah, <clears throat> different things like that. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Air Force is a little bit more like that. It's more special, kind yeah, of in your little like specialty. Every every letter has got a different job. Mm -hmm. You were telling me that you were working. So during this time that you were working as an LPN, it was during the AIDS epidemic. And you were telling me like a little bit about what it was like during that time, because this was kind of this new disease that was killing a lot of very young people that were otherwise healthy and we didn't know a lot about it. So what were some of the things that like, how, what is it like uh, taking care of those patients? Uh, in Denver, there was a staging when they first came out with the diagnosis of AIDS. It was pretty scary and we didn't know what it was or how to, there was no treatment for it and people weren't exactly sure on how you got it or how easily it could spread. And Denver was the staging area because everybody, if you got AIDS, you had to leave the military. You had to leave the army. Mm -hmm. And Denver, Fitzsimmons Medical Center was um, the staging area for everybody that had AIDS, every military member that had AIDS for them to get out. So then that's where they all went on the way out. Mm -hmm. And um, not exactly sure how they staged it or exactly the procedure on how they did it, but they had a ward there where they, and um, they all had to have like styrofoam for their food and stuff. They had to have styrofoam trays, um, styrofoam plates, plastic silverware, and then they had to throw them all away. They wouldn't mm -hmm. let them, they wouldn't take their dishes and stuff back to the kitchen to reuse. Mm -hmm. And so then, the, you know, they were, they looked fine. They're healthy. They're all just walking around and stuff, but, um, so we knew some of them. We didn't really work with them that much because they, they were healthy. You know, they they were healthy, so we didn't have a lot to do with them. But we knew who they were because they were mm -hmm. like walking around a lot. And that. And um, the, what, the story? Yeah, tell me about That's that. Tell me about that story. So, so we did know who the people were. So we've talked about this before. So yeah, we already know like <laughs> we're gonna. Th so, uh, me and um, two of my classmates. We were we were at a bar, and is this when you were in Colorado Denver. or when you're at Fort Sam? Okay, Denver. Oh okay. yeah, this is like toward the end. This is almost toward the end of uh, 91 Charlie School. Uh huh. And the when the AIDS came. Oh, and so anyways, with the, oh, talk about the needles too. So, oh yeah, yeah. So the AIDS patient, we knew who they were. So we were at a bar one night. And um, we see one of the AIDS patients over there sitting in a booth with um, a young civilian girl and her mom. I mm -hmm. know who it was. So we're sitting there and we're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to, you know, we're going to do. So we're just sitting there watching. Mm -hmm. So we watch them get a little bit closer and, and we're like, oh, we're not going to do anything. And then pretty mm -hmm. soon he's got his arm around her and then he starts, you know, trying to kiss her and stuff. And so we can't sit here and watch this. And I was the sergeant and they were both specialists, mm -hmm. E4s, you know, I'm E5, they're E4. So guess who has to take the lead? Mm -hmm. So we wait for him to get up to go to the bathroom and I approach him and I go, do you know what you're doing? And he basically told me to mind my own business. Mm -hmm. And um, the two guys I was with, they went and told the girl about what's going on mm -hmm. and her and her mom skedaddled out of there real quick. And um, on Monday when we came back, the guy went and told on us. Yeah. And so we <laughs> got reprimanded. We had to, um, my first, I think the video that I've seen of the Privacy Act or whatever, if we hadn't really seen Privacy Act videos yet, they weren't really a thing. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> this was, but 87. Yeah. About, about 1987, 88. And um, so we got that and then the whole class had to hear about it. And they were going to kick me out because of the privacy, because I infringed on his privacy and um, the, the sergeant in charge of the, mm -hmm. of the school called me into his office and said that, you know, they're considering throwing me out of class, take, you know, expelling me from class because of the privacy act and Mm -hmm. said, well, you know, I'm sorry if you have to do that, but I'm not going to, I would do the same thing no matter the consequences just because of my own 
my own conscious because I couldn't sit there and watch that happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he told me, he said, I would probably do the same thing, but you're still in trouble and I still have to give you these consequences, you know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really get in trouble. They kind of talked about it for a little bit and made me sweat for a while, but then it blew over. Mm-hmm. And the guy, dis- it, he didn't disappear, but I think he was discharged and went home or whatever. I don't know what happened. Yeah, him. yeah. Yeah, that was, it sounds like one of those moral dilemmas where you know, you know that this is something that potentially is breaking the rules and I could get in trouble for it, but I'm, I, you needed to do what you felt was right in that situation. And it's like, and, if you see somebody getting held up with a gun, do you like just like yeah. walk away or do you, yeah, you yeah. know, at the time, because you, people didn't, you didn't know it was a death sentence, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. not as quick as a gun, but it was still a death sentence to somebody. Mm-hmm. And also, speaking of the AIDS thing, um, we were still using needles back then, real, mm-hmm. real needles. And so I was hanging a piggyback, and I poked myself with the needle. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you're scared to death. And I had to get the called the gamma gobulin, big, thick, like 10 cc syringes uh-huh. in the both cheeks. That was pretty painful. Big knots of, of like, it was like bacon grease in your butt <laughs> yeah <laughs> so thick. Uh, yeah it sounds pretty before, painful yeah, be- that's before they started you know getting rid of needles yeah because needles were in everything like uh like weren't didn't they have it when you um like hung a piggyback there'd yeah. be like a needle that it would attach to a port in the iv and you know now we have all these needleless systems or we have these ivs that the needle retracts into itself so you just yeah. push a button and, and you don't uh have to you know before aids we would we would barely use gloves we would you know unless something was like really bloody or a lot of drainage or something like that because you know you got to save resources or whatever or i even remember like when i was in nursing school it was like the late 90s, early 2000s. But I remember having a nursing instructor tell me that don't wear gloves when you go uh, in, you know, to like assess your patient unless you're going to do something invasive because it might make them feel uncomfortable. And nowadays you think about that. And yeah, we wear gloves all the time. And I mean, if, you know, it's it's just like a normal thing. Oh, people were so offended when we first started wearing gloves. Like, like they were dirty. Do you think I'm dirty? Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, here's the funny. Like in the ER in Germany, when we would do that, we were we were all medics back then, and uh, they used to take that when starting IVs, they would take the cap off with your teeth, and then you start the <laughs> IV, and then you jab the needle into the cart, so <laughs> right into the into the bed. Uh huh. So I had all these, you know, like needle holes in there yeah. because you would because you didn't have you didn't have any sheath to cover the needle. You just jab it in there so it didn't so it didn't poke anybody. Yeah, and then you'd go into the back room and you'd have to put it in this little container and you'd have to snip off the needle like three different you know the hub. You'd cut off the needle and you have to cut off the hub and then you put it in separate containers. Oh wow! I was just thinking about that. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> cut it up bite it off with your teeth and stab it in the bed (laughs) (laughs) oh my god if jayco would see that today (laughs) like now we can't even have drinks at the nurse's station like it's gotten to that point where it's like yeah you have more rambos (laughs) (laughs) any fun stories or things that you could think about that you wanted to share Mm, no and then after that i went to fort knox kentucky oh yeah that was the end yeah, that's where you ended your career. And you ended at, at 10 years. So you kind of were at that point. It's kind of like the transition point. Do you end it now? Or do you want to try to push on and get your 20 years right. for retirement? So you're at that 10 year mark and do or die. And you decided to call quits. And then did you do the bootstrap program? Or? No, I okay. thought I, it was it was uh, at that point. I think if I had went Air Force, I might have done the 20, but physically, I'm not the first <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I gotcha. In Fort it's Knox, different. 
Yeah. We're at Knox. I was working in the hospital and physically, um, I just couldn't keep up with the PT standards and at work in the hospital, I'm not very good at motivating myself to work out. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I just couldn't physically do it. I mean, yeah, I was only 28, yeah. but I physically was, ha- I was struggling even before I started working in the hospital. So mm-hmm. I knew that I wouldn't be able to physically do it. So that was part of the reason. And so um, I got accepted into the nursing program in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And then I came up promotable. And so I said, well, if I get accepted into the program, then I'm going to get out. Otherwise, I'll stay in. And I got accepted. And then I got out. And then it was the VEEP program was the one that was going on. And like the GI Bill, it was the VEEP program. At okay. The so every dollar that you put in, they would give you $2 toward education. And that's how I got through school. Yeah, those education benefits definitely help a lot. So you... You got out, you went to school, and then did you get associate's degree, mm-hmm. nursing degree? Okay. That, that's where I stopped. I never went back yeah. again. No. How did you come to, because uh, you were in Michigan, then how did you get back to Illinois? I never. Um, uh, or how did you? Uh, I went to, uh, I came here on the weekend to a Cubs game with my next door neighbor, and I uh-huh. met my husband. And you met your husband at a Cubs game? Yeah, and that's how I ended up in Chicago. <laughs> Aww. 30 awesome. years ago this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's great. So that's how, what brought you to Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and what, so one of the things I like to ask people are what types of things you do for for self-care because, you know, it's just one of those things that I think people in the military aren't the best at taking care of ourselves. So um, do you have any things that you've been doing that I could learn from? (laughs) (laughs) Well, after 36 years of bedside nursing, I haven't worked for almost four years, which is kind of refreshing. It's nice not to to do shift work and get up in the morning and go to bed, you know, at the same time and just have like a, a normal routine, like normal people. Yeah. which I kind of like is good. Um, I get massages every month and get facial every month. Mm-hmm. I go to the gym. I walk my dog. I relax. Get, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just kind of enjoying life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And are you doing anything um, like veteran wise? Like you, you were, you're telling me you were going to like, you go to the VA now. Yeah, I go, I go to Heinz for all my medical care. You know, I, didn't go to high. I had my VA card for probably almost 10 years and I didn't go to high. You know, the VA, my dad and my father in law were telling me, you got to go to the VA. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I got Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO. I don't want to take advantage of the system or whatever. And then um, I started going to Heinz. I love it. It's so yeah. much better. And, and the cost, it doesn't cost anything. You know, it cost me like 15, you know, nothing compared to PPO. Yeah. And uh, the care there is great. I love Heinz. They, mm-hmm. They're on top of everything. They have a, a women's clinic there that's just for women. And um, that's great. I love my doctor. Um, mm-hmm. I love Heinz. I'm like, I could kick myself for spending all those years and not going there. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, definitely. especially because we worked in the hospital together and, and you're like, well, I have an insurance here and I know that these doctors here, but it's good to hear that that's a, a good option and you save a lot of money and they have like very comprehensive health care and everything. And so. Oh, yeah. Well, they yeah. have, you know, like Loyola doctors. If they don't have the doctors there, they have Loyola. Mm-hmm. I had both my cataracts done. I had cataract surgery on both eyes for free. Wow. With the um, bifocal lens. You know, like this yeah, so now one. you have like, like awesome vision now. Yeah, and it's um like two thousand dollars extra per lens if you're a civilian, uh, plus the cataract surgery. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and I don't know if it's because it was during the pandemic when they weren't charging people stuff, but they I didn't charge one penny. That's nice. Wow. Yeah, I I like Heinz. Yeah. She, my doctor, she like over oh you need to go see this you need to i'm like i go there i think i'm doing okay and i walk out i'm like oh my god why do i gotta go see all these people because she's so thorough yeah i like her good well any other 
stories you want to go over? No, I think that's okay. about it. Okay. Oh, well, I do. Oh, I do. A, um, one more. So, um, no, not a story, but um, you want to talk about, I, I, I have really started to take advantage of the military, um, using the military, you know, not, you know, the discounts too, but also I started using USAA. Yeah. For my, for my insurance. Yeah, they're my great. House and my car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like them a lot. And I started use. I went to my dental to MetLife, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm not working and my husband's retired. And so these insurance companies are really great compared to what I've had in the past. And, you know, they're through the, they're through the, your military benefits mm -hmm. and um, they're both great companies. Does your husband get to use the benefits too mm -hmm. or? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, Tina, thank you so much for letting me interview you. And this is actually our second interview because I had some technical <laughs> difficulties. And so I appreciate your time and it, and you have great stories. And thank you so much for your service. And I really appreciate you. And, and thanks for doing the interview with me. Thank you. It's been fun. It's nice to reminisce and think about that and have somebody interested in it because usually people don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it was fun. There's a lot of fun thinking about all that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening and I appreciate any feedback. If you are a lady veteran and would like to be interviewed, you can reach out through my website, saveitforthedrive.com. You can get this podcast through the website, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. Always remember everyone deployed and whenever you have a great story to tell, remember to save it for the drive.